Hey, this is Pastor Chris with Believer City Church. Listen, I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to this message on today. It's my prayer that something said will encourage you to believe in God, believe in yourself, and believe in others. And with that being said, let's jump straight into the message. So while you're finding Luke chapter 8, go to verse 40 for me. I want to read verse 40 through 42, and then I want to read 49 through 50. Just repeat after me real quickly while you're standing. Say, Father God, 
I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. And renewing me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 through 42. Then we're going to jump down to 49 through 56. If you don't mind, if you got it, say, I got it. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. I read from the New American Standard Bible, and it reads such as this. And Jesus returned, and when Jesus, as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And they, there came a man named Jairus, and he was the official of the synagogue. And he fell to, at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. Verse 42 for he had an older daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But he, as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Drop down to verse 49. What you're missing in the middle of that is there's a woman with an issue of blood that comes and touches the hem of his garment. You know, some of those believers that just because you asking for something don't mean they can't ask God for something. And so she went expecting something and got something. Jesus stayed for a moment in the midst of why Jairus's daughter was dying and stayed and continued to hold a conversation. And then we come to find what begins to take place next in verse 49, because this is what happened. While he was still speaking, talking to the group of people that was amazed about this woman who had the issue of blood being dried up, while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue's official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Verse 50 closes like this, but when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. For a moment today, I want to kick off a brand new series entitled Small Actions Equal Big Reactions. You may be seated on today. The small actions equal big reactions. You may not know this, but trees don't just grow overnight. Uh, it's a process that has to go into the concept of a tree becoming a tree. Uh, what initially needs to happen, either someone has to intentionally plant a seed in the ground or a tree has to drop a seed in whatever form or fashion that it does so. And as a result of it, over time, that seed, that little bitty thing that was planted in the ground has the ability to become something that disrupts the whole foundation of your house, that, that will tear apart your water lines because it begins to take root and form and begins to occupy space because something that was so small was had a destiny to become so much more bigger. Big things begin small. It's amazing. Somebody posted on social media. I told you all about this, not on social media, but on, on Google. I'm always checking out Google reviews. So if you're visiting with us for the first time, please go online and give us a Google review. Uh, if you are here and you are a member and you've never went to Google, Sister Linda, I saw yours the other day. God bless you. Uh, if you're here and you never went to Google and gave us five stars, not four stars, but five stars, uh, then shame on you. Uh, and I need you to go figure that thing out. Figure how your phone works, how your computer works, how it works. But yet and still, uh, the, the, they posted on Google small church, great pastor. 
I didn't even get caught up in the great pastor mess because I know ain't nothing great about me. My feelings got all hurt about being a small church. I'm like, no, nah, we ain't no small church. We're a growing church. We're a big church. We, you, you don't know who you're talking about. But the reality is we are a small church. Every big church didn't become big overnight. It started small. It started small. And you know what? I think that's one of the biggest issues with the church now. We're trying to be big, and we want to do everything that big churches do, but we forget that the reason they got to where they are is the small details that we overlook. We want the lights. We want the cameras. We want, we want uh, the social media. We want all these big-time speakers. But what made them who they were was preaching the gospel, was loving on people, connecting the people, all of these key concepts. The small details is what leads to bigger things. I believe that many of us in many relationships that we have, we are missing the small details. We're missing the small details. Josh has been trying to get me to preach about small groups forever. And I, I, I'm one of them preachers. I ain't preaching about nothing I don't know about. I ain't, I'm sorry. I grew up in the Kojigan Baptist Church. We had Sunday school, uh, Baptist Union, and all that good stuff. I don't know about your small groups. I, I can't talk about your small groups. What is it? You're trying to start a church in somebody's house? What, what's going on? I, I don't understand this concept of small groups. And so we are getting ready to launch small groups, and it, it, it's just we serve a God that has awesome timing with everything. And I finally got the revelation of how, look at him, he already celebrating. He already celebrating. I finally got the revelation of how important small groups are to the church. I finally got the concept of how important. So today's message is titled Small Group Reaction. Small Group Reaction. I want to make sure that you understand the concept of small group reaction Luke chapter 8 presents uh, something abnormal in the Bible. Uh, it's one of three things that I noticed that Jesus, uh, when we read, when we continue to read in the text, you're going to notice that Jesus calls a special meeting. And what he does in this special meeting, he calls him, he calls Peter and the sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John. He calls them together for a unique purpose. This is one time that Jesus does this. Jesus does this two other times in the Bible. Uh, the second time we find he does it in Matthew uh, chapter 17 when he goes up and he has the opportunity to transform and the, 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 the same people, Peter, James, and John, see him, see the light shining for, from him. And then he does it a third time in Matthew chapter 28, I believe. And, and what happens in Matthew chapter 28, he calls Peter, James, and John, and he's at the opportunity where his ministry is about to be magnified because he's about to be crucified to the cross. And he, he's at this opportunity where life is just not giving him what he wants the way he wants it. And so he goes to the garden, he prays, and he, he calls, he separates Peter, James, and John from the rest of the disciples and says, come and keep watch over me. There, there is not an accident that the Bible teaches us and, and, and communicates to us that when times got hard, when things became difficult, Jesus, even though he had a mass following, even though he had amazing disciples, he picked three strategic people to comfort him, to walk with him, to, to, to see what God was doing in his life. And I believe for the first time ever that Jesus had his own small group. 
Jesus had his own inner circle that even though he came and he worshiped with others, even though he served and he prayed with others, he had these select group of people that he says, I really need to be connected to you for the purpose of accountability, for the purpose of prayer, all of these great things I need to happen. And so he calls these people when time gets rough. I don't know if you understand, but in Genesis, God had already said, it's not good for man to be alone. I don't think he was speaking about man as in the male form. He was speaking about humanity in itself. We understood that we had a relationship with God, but God wanted us to have companionship. And so he says, let me make not only a male, but a a female. Let me make companionship because we are not designed to do life by ourselves. I want to make sure you understand where this message is going. So I I have a couple of chairs, and oftentimes what happens is we come to church on Sunday morning. We come to church, we come to hear the strangers and Sister Linda and, and Cam lead us in praise and worship. Come to church to high five, hug, and see what crazy things Pastor gonna talk about. And then we get into this unique role where everybody faces the front, and for some ungodly reason just stares at me while I get to preach. We hope to take down great notes. We hope to have something that's impactful. Uh, But what ends up happening is we have a great hour and a half. We have a great hour and a half, but the reality is that when we leave here, the same problems that we came with are still waiting on us. When we leave here, the struggles of life. And the truth is, even though we're worshiping with one another, many of us are here by ourselves. We don't even know the person named to the left or to the right of us. We have not made that connection. And so essentially, although we're gathering together, we're doing life alone. Many of us, when life gets hard, you don't even have nobody number in the church to call. So who do you call? You call mama and daddy. What do you do if mama and daddy ain't living right? You take ungodly advice. You call your friends who who aren't living right, that don't even understand why you wake up and go to church on your only day off. And, And you get advice from them. And so you come to church for an hour and a half of encouragement and recharge only to go to do life for six whole days and be drained and have no real connection of anybody that understands what it is that you're going through. I believe instead of us doing life from this facet, I understand what Josh is doing because when we come and we do life like that, we essentially isolate ourselves to do life by ourselves. Josh, every time you meet with Josh, he has this bad habit. He puts you in a circle. He puts you in a circle For some reason, but I believe he wants to make sure that we can all see each other. We can all connect. We can all have eye contact. We can all communicate. I don't care where you are in this church. He will put you in a circle. Circle is this odd thing that has no end and no beginning. Circle has this concept of of unity, openness, equalness. And I believe Josh puts us in these circles because of the simple fact that he wants everybody to understand we are in this together. When we come to church and we sit on these rows and we don't have anybody to connect with, we don't have anybody to call, we are doing life 
by ourselves. And as a result of it, it gets frustrating. The weight is heavy. When you have nobody to pray for you, when you have nobody to talk to you, when you have nobody to talk you off the edge, can we be honest? Sometimes I just don't want to be who God has called me to be. Sometimes I just want to do me. Everybody else is turning up. Everybody else living their best life according to what they see riding on 26s and, and big old dually trucks. I just want the same thing they got. And so sometimes it gets hard. Sometimes it becomes stressful. And I believe in those times are the most important times to know who you're surrounding yourself with. I believe those times are the most important times to get to the point of having a small group connection. Ah, Jesus does it in the text. He has a small group, and I believe that a small group stands for one purpose, and that group stands for the principle of being able to cultivate life. That is the whole concept of a small group, is to cultivate life. And when I look in the text, I, I see Jesus uh, seeing a small group functions. But when I think about Matthew 28, I see how a small group also fails. Jesus has this group that he, he calls and he asks, man, just to watch with me and pray. And we know the story. They fell asleep. You can't just pray with me for an hour. You can't keep watch over me for an hour, man. Listen, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Other words, man, I, I know what I have to do, but I really don't want to do it. If I could get out of jail free now would be the time that I would use it. So you just can't keep Watch over me for an hour. Just keep me accountable for an hour. It's amazing how Jesus knew it was only going to take an hour for Judas to betray him. He knew the time. And he says, listen, I don't need you forever. I just need you for an hour to watch over me for an hour. What happens in Luke chapter 8 is a little different because in Luke chapter 8, this official comes to Jesus and as he comes to Jesus. He's coming to Jesus and begging, listen, I need you. I know that you do miracles. I know that you heal. I know that you are God in the flesh. I'm not questioning it whatsoever. I know who you are. I need you to come heal my daughter. She's on the verge of dying. Jesus, I believe, <clears throat> agreed and everything was good, but then this odd thing happens. This woman with the issue of blood reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. Because Jairus wasn't the only person who had issues. There was other people in the proximity that had issues. But you know the problem is that, that she didn't have anybody to talk to. Why did she not have anybody to talk to? Because when you had issues like that, they isolated you from the people. You were considered to be unclean ungodly. Anybody that touched you had to go make sacrifices, had to get themselves clean and show themselves to the priest. And so nobody wanted to be around this woman. So in the midst of her struggle, in the midst of her chaos, with everything that she was going through, everything that she was going through, she had to go through it by herself. But she experiences this healing, this supernatural healing, because even though she had to go through things by herself, all she had to do was get close to God and connect with God. And there was a transfer of power that happens in her getting close to God and connecting to God. Can I help you understand something? And this goes to this concept of small groups. I know that you're all strong. I know that you're a bunch of he-mans and, and wonder womans. I know that. But all of us don't have the strength to do life by ourselves. 
All of us don't have the strength to be like this woman with the issue of blood. Forget what they're talking about. Forget what they say. I'm going to get up in here and I'm going to get mine. All of us don't have that courage. Most of us, when life really hits, we tuck and roll, man. We ball up. It's over. Things ain't going to work out. It's not going to come to our, our, our favor. And so as a result of it, we quickly throw in the towel. It's over. I, I don't see this turning around. Yeah, I got faith, but it ain't that type of faith. Maybe it's a half of mustard seed. It's not a whole mustard seed. And so it's just not going to work this time. Maybe next time things will work to, to the, for the good of those that love the Lord. Maybe I just don't love him enough. Maybe he just doesn't love me enough. And as a result of it, I want to give up. All of us is not as strong as this woman. And this is why I believe Jesus parallels these two stories. One of the reasons he parallels these two stories because this man from the synagogue, he gets news after he's asked Jesus to come and work a miracle. Can you imagine what has happened? I'm asking you, Jesus, come heal, heal my daughter. Jesus, all right, I'm on my way. Let's go. And they start to walk and this woman touching and Jesus is like, hey, oh, who touched me? Disciples is like, what you mean who touched you, man? It's a thousand people around you. Everybody touching you. No, this touch was a little different. She, whoever touching me, she wanted something. Matter of fact, she didn't just want something. She came to take something. And Jesus begins to stand there and just have this dialogue. I'm not leaving until somebody tell me who touches me, who touched me. And can you imagine being that father? Your daughter is not Jesus, man. Are you really finna trip like this? Like, do you need a deposit on your healing? What do you need, man? You really finna stand here and have a conversation, and I just told you my daughter is down. This is what literally is transpiring right there. And Jesus holds the whole conversation until the woman confesses. It was me. I did it. Man, because of your faith, you've been made whole. Whoa. This woman had an issue of blood for several years, and all she did was touch him, and because of her faith, she was made whole. I don't mind celebrating a healing, but can you be the father for a minute that all I did was ask you to come heal my daughter, and I knew that all I had to do was get her close to you, and she would get that healing, and you just healed this woman. Then immediately when we got ready to leave and turn around, somebody tells her, oh, don't bother him. She died. There's no reason to, to celebrate. No reason to ask him to come. Bother the rabbi no more. Leave, leave Jesus where he's at. She's already dead. Can you imagine how his heart dropped? I just seen him perform a miracle. Jesus, I asked you first. At least I asked. And you're going to sit here and bless her. And while you was over here playing house with her, my daughter died. But before he can even get anything out of his mouth, Jesus said, don't worry about it. She's not dead. She will be made well. And what begins to happen from this point, Jesus takes a journey with him. The journey to the home. They get to the home. People are already distraught. People are already crying. The baby has died. Jesus enters the room and he, he begins to tell them, listen, don't worry about anything. That she's not dead. Everything's going to be fine. He says that she's going to actually be resurrected. Things are going to happen. And, and in this room, and we're going to get to it, the people in this room, which was the mother, 
the father, sons of Zebedee and Peter and Jesus, everybody except Jesus laughed. They mocked him like, dude, no, she cold. Skin pale, cold to the touch. She ain't even breathing no more. Chest ain't rising. Jesus, we don't need no EKG. It's over. They mocked him and laughed. But what happens is she comes to life. What happens is she comes to life. Cultivation is about taking something that's nothing and working with it to build something. I believe small groups, life groups, uh, as we call them, hangouts, whatever you want to call them, they are designed to cultivate something. To take something that is nothing, work with it because we see the value in it, and create something. Jesus holds one of the first small group sessions in the Bible. The Bible says in the text, looking at verse 9, uh, no, matter of fact, let's go back to verse 40, 48. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then so verse 49 goes, when he was still speaking, someone came and said that from the synagogue's official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Verse 50. But when Jesus cared this, he answered him and said, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. Can I stop for there for a moment? that all she had to do was, all he had to do was believe and she wasn't made. Well, we miss that sometimes, the fine print of what God says. He says, only believe and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and the girl's mother. That's a group of five. We have a small group session taking place right there. Why all the other disciples, y'all restricted outside, grandma, aunties, y'all stay outside. We got to do life. There are some things going on in here that we have to figure out. We have to work together and we have to come to an understanding about. And, and, and what happens, my problem is that Jesus' statement was, I don't have to touch her for her to be made well. He says, all you have to do is believe and, you will, and you, she will be made well. So essentially, the whole journey that they took leads me to believe that he never believed. Because if we took a journey, and Jesus, your words to me, when we left the place is all I got to do is believe and she will be made well. And we get there and she's not well, she's still dead. That means I did not believe. Why do many of us need small groups to strengthen our belief? Because many of us know that we should love God, know that we should serve God, know that we should honor God, but we don't really believe. We're struggling with this concept of faith. We're struggling with this concept of celibacy. We're, con we're struggling with this concept of service. And as a result of our struggling, we don't need to just be preached to on Sunday morning. We need to get in a setting that can cultivate the seed that has been planted inside of me so that something can be produced. You are not called just to be Christians. God has ordained you to be disciples. I don't know if you understand it. A Christian just accepts Christ, but a disciple lives for Christ. You don't just become a disciple overnight. It's a process that takes cultivation. It takes us to connect. This is why some of us have been saved for six years and we're still going through the same thing. 
The seed is there. Just hadn't been watered. Your bush hadn't been pruned. And as a result of it, the cultivation hadn't taken. It's not that God doesn't love you. You just hadn't grown yet. You're a little dormant right now. But life is not over. And so what we do is we connect with other believers so that we can understand how do we do this thing called life? How do we, we live in the manner that God has called us to deal, deal? And how do we deal with the drama? And so Jesus brings these five people into the session. He says, I need to show you something. Some things need to happen. And cultivation, I believe, takes place in three stages. And the first stage is something I want to talk to you about today. And the first stage is the communication stage. The communication stage teaches us that small groups create big conversation. That's what happens in a small group setting. It creates big conversation. There are a couple of things that you are allowed to say while you're in Sunday morning service with me. Preach, preacher. Hallelujah. Amen. You better teach that thing. That's about it. It, it doesn't go any further than that. that. That is the parameters of your Sunday morning conversation. But when you're actually in a small group setting, it creates a dialogue where somebody is not just talking at you or to you, but with you. It creates small groups, create big conversations. In the text, what we see in verse 49 and verse 50, while he was still speaking, someone came to the house uh, of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. We see that that happens. Then Jesus says in verse 50, but Jesus heard this and answered, do not be afraid. They are in a form of communication. I know that your life is rough right now. I know that you're struggling financially. I know that you don't know how to get over this divorce that you've just encountered. I know that you're having problems with your children. I understand you got family incarcerated. You live in Texas, baby. You ain't the only one. We all got problems with that right now. I understand the IRS taking a little bit too much taxes out of your pocket, and you did not get the return that you were expecting. I got you. But it does you no good to sit in a corner by yourself and pout about it. Sometimes when we have life struggles, the best thing for us to do is to connect with other believers who have either who are dealing with the same thing or they have found a way to get past it. They have found a way to get past it. And as a result of it, we need to we need to sit at their feet. We need to communicate. We need to we need to talk. How how did you get over being divorced? How did you get over when your man cheated on you? How did you get your finances together? How did how did this happen? Are you, is your husband the only one that don't clean up after himself? We need those groups so that we can we can find a, a sense of common ground that we are not in this by ourselves. Do you know that humanity is not that much different from wolves? Wolves always travel in a pack. If you catch a wolf by itself, something's wrong. He lost his pack or they have, uh, they've shunned him and he can't come back. There, there's an issue. Wolves always come together in packs. And the reason they come in together in packs is because in a pack they can nurture each other. If somebody's struggling, they can look out for the other one. They can help them out. Uh, in a pack, if uh, they need to take down a big challenge, a big prey, they do it together. They work together on this thing. Uh, many of us, we are trying to be solo when God has called us to work together as a team. When God has called us to, to make an impact together as 
a team. And as a result of working together, we can overcome some bigger obstacles. The biggest thing that the enemy tries to do to a sheep is get it by itself. Once, once the enemy gets the sheep by itself, it can have its way with it. Once a wolf gets a sheep by itself, a coyote gets a sheep by itself, it can have its way with it. But it's afraid to attack the pack. Sheep are harmless animals. They can't do anything, but it's just something about them being together that intimidates them. And so what they do is they get them to run. They get them to function in chaos, and they separate them from the herd. And once they're by themselves, it's all over. Isn't it amazing that God calls us like sheep? God considers us to be sheep, which means that we are supposed to be a part of a flock that's traveling together. But what happens when we leave here on Sunday morning, the enemy isolates us in our own mind. And as a result of the enemy isolating us in our own mind, he attacks us and he destroys us because we, ha- we don't know how to get back to the Father. We don't know how to get back to the shepherd, to the flock. And so we, we come here on Sunday, and all sin has been removed. We are sanctified. We are holy. We smell good. We look good. We deleted people out of our phone before we came here, deleted pictures, everything. We're going to do the right thing. And then we leave here, and the person we said, do not answer is a name. We still answer. <laughs> it's not by accident that when life gets hard, it seems like everything that could possibly hit you, hits you. It's not an accident. The enemy knows just as much as God knows how much he can put on you that, that you can bear. The enemy knows how much you can't bear. And as a result of it, he tries to convince you to try to bear it. And when you try to bear what you can't bear is when you've taken your eyes off of God and you start looking at your problem. This man, all he had to do was believe. Believe and she will be made well. Can you imagine if God said to your student loans, Lord, if you, baby, if you just believe, those student loans are going to be paid off. You know what I would be doing right now? Jesus, I believe in the name of the Father. Right now in the name of the Son. Oh, my God, I know that student loans are gone. My belief would be ridiculous. I would go down to the building wherever they counted at and say, I'll tell you right now, I'll cast you behind me in the name of the Father. Because he said all I had to do was believe. But there was a period in life where faith wasn't enough. I didn't have it. And so when I encountered obstacles, I struggled. And so it was best for me to get to a group. And why I need to get to a group is because of the simple fact that a group offers me opportunity to communicate. There's no judgment. There's just communication. Nobody looking down on you. Nobody feeling like they're bigger than you or better than you. It's just I want to offer you a perspective. I have a problem. Let me offer you a unique perspective. This is what God says about it. And as a result of it, maybe we need to try the godly principle. There's a level that we need to understand. Not only does it offer us an opportunity to take small groups and create big conversations, but we need to understand that the Bible teaches us that small groups produces big revelation. This is stage two. Stage two is the clarification stage. 
Small groups would let us have a big conversation, but small groups produces big revelation. Look at, at verse 52 for me, if you don't mind. This is what it said in verse 52. Now, they were all weeping and lamenting for her. They thought she was dead. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. Wow. That should have been a wow moment in the whole house. Oh, she ain't dead? Oh, she can sleep and hold her breath, Jesus? That should have been a, a revelational moment in the house. But instead, what happens is in verse 53, and they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. Small groups presents the opportunity that you can be exposed to a real big revelation. That let me tell you what God says about your situation. Let me tell you what God says about your circumstances. Let me show you what God can do in your life. Look at how God has brought me over. But you know what our problem is? If we do get into a small group, many of us don't want to hear what God says. We just want to woe is me. We want somebody to hear our sad, sad story. We want somebody to weep with us. That's not, the, that's not how cultivation works. Cultivation says you bring me a problem and we're going to work together to establish a solution. In this process, Jesus comes. He says, do not weep for she's not dead. She's just asleep. That should have been a wow moment. I should not even have to come and preach to y'all anymore. I should have just been able to end the text with saying, all you got to do is leave here and believe. Whatever it is that you're looking for God to do in your life, you should believe. You're looking for a new job, better believe on it. I'm going to make a shirt, believe on it. That's all you got to do is believe. Get to the concept where you say, I believe. This is my lifestyle. This is where I stand. I sincerely believe. It's the belief principle that got us salvation in the first place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hope is the aspect of believing for something that you don't even have. Belief changes things. Josh, we just changed the name. We belief groups now, baby. We're going to push belief groups. That's what we're going to do because of the simple fact that we got to create an atmosphere that allows people to believe. In these groups, what is designed to happen when God puts you in a, a small setting like he does, he creates a revelation. Why does he limit it to a certain amount of people? Because everybody is not ready to hear what God is trying to tell you. The other eight disciples or whoever it was, they're not ready for this revelation. They don't understand it. They can't experience it. This is why people are so busy talking. This is why you can't tell everybody your business. Because everybody don't understand what God is doing. They don't understand how God has worked things out. They don't understand how, how you went from the bottom to get to the top. They don't understand how God is taking you from being dead to giving you life. They don't understand because they do not believe. Can you imagine if Dalton Thomas was in the room that day? He ain't the one to come in. He don't believe. I already know where he stand. He don't even know what it goes through, what, what it is to go through to lose somebody, to give up everything. He just followed because everybody else was following. Jesus says, I need my special group 
to get with me, and I need you to understand, I want to give you a revelation that God is going to fix your problem right now. You think she's dead? She's not dead. What has happened is that the enemy has just taken a little bit of hold on it, but let me tell you something. I'm willing to step in if you can believe. I'm willing to step in if you can believe, and as a result of it, I will bring that which you thought was dead back to life. Y'all should be Y'all don't understand. Your finances were dead, but if you let God step into it, guess what it does? Back to life. Your marriage was dead, but if you let God step into it, what? Back to life. Your children might be dead, but if you let God step into it, back to life. The enemy's biggest trick is an illusion to make you think that you should give up. The, big enemy, the biggest trick is he puts a smoking mirror in your face to make you think that this is not going to work out. It's not in your favor. And as a result of it, we do the same thing that they did in that room. We laugh. <laughs> God, yeah, right. I sit back and I look at the stories of people who laugh. I remember Sarah. Sarah laughed when, when God said that you're going to bear a son. And, and as a result of it, he, your husband will be the father of many nations. God, is, he'll make an example out of people who laugh. Ooh, can I help y'all? There are some people who laugh at you. But the best thing that you can do is let them laugh. Because if you're willing to let them laugh, God will make an example out of you for them. Let me help you understand. The biggest mistake that we do is we want to laugh with them. No, 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 no. I will be the butt of your joke. You can laugh at me and my faith. You can laugh at me at my committedness to serve God. Laugh at whatever you want to laugh at. Let me tell you something. God going to make the same thing that make you laugh. It's going to be the same thing that's going to make you cry. All I got to do is stay in the will of God. I'm so grateful that all they did was laugh, but they didn't leave the room. Oh, y'all missed that, didn't you? They laughed, but they did not leave the room. See, the problem with many of us is we laugh and leave the room. We're like, oh, Jesus, you tripping, man. I'm out of this thing, man. Come on, can you help me pay my light bill? <laughs> man, my car note, I need you right now. Man, I don't want to do all that. Go on, y'all. They never left the room. They were invited in the room, and even when things were not what they wanted to hear, they stayed in the room. Can I help you understand something? Everything you hear in a small group that's of the word of God might not be what you want to hear. I know. There's some people that told me, put some prayer on some things. And I was like, listen, let me tell you something. I pray all the time, homeboy. Pray ain't going to change this thing right here. I need some monies right now. But if I wanted to really receive what God had for me, I had to be willing to stay in the room. My challenge for you today is while you're walking in your faith, that you have to be willing to stay in. I don't know what your room is. I don't know what your room that God has you in. I don't know what that period of isolation that he's put you in so that you can learn something that everybody else ain't in the season of learning. I don't know what he's trying to do with you and why he's trying to do it. But whatever room he's put you in, stop fighting against the room. Sit in the room something to learn. In the text, he teaches us that small groups promote big conversations. Small groups produce big revelation. Last thing, I'll let you go on today, that when we understand that not only is there the communication stage, clarification stage, but we go to stage three, last and final stage, is the cultivation stage. Pastor, why do you call it the cultivation stage? Because small group encounters big transformation. Oh, y'all missed it. 
There's a lot of big churches filled with people in it, but they are not experiencing the transformation power of God. I, I have seen some people that have a three to four people prayer group that are moaning and crying and laying on the floor, weeping and truly having an encounter with God. Where there's a lot of people that come to church on Sunday morning, they look like they're having an encounter. They're not really having an encounter. The reason why I love small groups now so much is because I finally realized that in a small group, people can be who they are. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to know it all. They didn't know it all. They laughed. But what happens next, same thing that made them laugh, made them cry. Because the text shows us in verse 54 and 56, it says, after all that had happened, after they laughed, he says in verse 54, he, however, in spite of what they did, in spite of how jacked up they were, isn't it good? I'm just going to stop right there for a minute. Isn't it good that God does not delay your blessing because of your foolishness? You laugh at me when I'm trying to help you. I'm going to leave you right there. No, you laughing at my gas can? And you just ran out of gas? <laughs> Figure it out. Laugh at me if you want to. They laughed at him, and the text says, he, however, Despite what they did, despite what they deserved, he, however, I just need a however blessing in my life right now. God, I know I ain't been the best person to you. I know I hadn't been the best servant. I, I know I hadn't given you everything that you needed. I, I know I probably didn't listen to everything you said, but I need a however blessing. He, however, he took hold of that girl. Bible says he. He took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. Verse 55 blows my mind. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Catch this, verse 56, this last verse. Her parents were amazed. Whoa. Oh, y'all ain't laughing no more. Oh, somebody need to go to work and tell their haters, listen, I know you're laughing now, but there's going to come a period of amazement. I know you're laughing because I'm by myself now, but wait until you hit that amazement. I know you're laughing because I'm struggling right now, but there will come a period of amazement. Just watch and see, because all I'm waiting on is for Jesus just to take hold of that thing. That's it. See, this is where many of us mess up. We think that there's something more that we can do. There's nothing more that you can do. The best thing that you can possibly do is do nothing. Give it to the Lord. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. This is what he's saying. Let me have what you can't handle. This is where many of us struggle is because of the simple fact that we think we got to handle it all. He said, clearly, I'll never put more on you than you can bear. And he knows that we're the most fragile thing on the face of this earth. We, like, we get scared of spiders. How in the world he going to put the weight of the world on your shoulder? What makes you think that he thinks that you got that type of power? And so he essentially says, just let me take hold of it. Can I help you understand something? I'm glad they were laughing. Because had they not been laughing, you know what they would have did? They would have been holding her in their arms. 
And the problem is if they got hold of her, guess what? He can't get hold of her. Can I, can I get you a revelation today? That's some things you just got to let go. That's some things you've been stressing about and worrying about and you've been praying to God fixing. But the problem is that you just ain't released it. You hadn't gave it up. And as a result of it, it's stressing you out to the point of death. It's dead and it's going to take you with it. But all you have to do is let go. Let go and laugh. Man, I can't believe I'm going through this right now. <laughs> and imagine what will happen if you let go of it and allow God to take hold of it. Can I help you? This is it. And I, I'm sorry if y'all didn't get it today. I just want to make sure y'all get And her spirit returned and she got up immediately. Y'all are not a real church. They laughed. He spoke. He, he touched and spoke and everything changed immediately. I don't know what you're going through, but we serve a God that wants to change it immediately. And oftentimes the reason why we don't know that he wants to change it immediately is because we don't know what God has the power to do. This is why small What an amazing word from God. Listen, we thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to this message. And it's because of that that we want to extend two invitations to you. Our first invitation is if you're ever in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, for you to actually stop in and worship with us at Believer City Church. We would greatly appreciate the opportunity to get to know you better. The second thing that we would invite you to do is if you want to partner with us in ministry. This message has been able to impact your life in any way, form, or fashion. You're able to partner with us simply by going to our website at BelieverCity.org and clicking on the Give tab and just donating whatever God allows to your heart to do so. Uh, you can also download our app by going to Google Play or the App Store and download Believer City Church. And there's ways that you can connect with us there, pray with us, give, and so many things that you can do to stay connected to the Believer City community. We thank you again for listening to this message, and we look forward to worshiping with you in the future. God bless you.